Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and I'm joined by my good friend Joe once more. I'm back, baby. I will just say this, Joe. Great to have you back on the show, but it feels very sus, okay? Because you you, you missed the episode where Green Bay smashed the Vikings, nowhere to be seen, and then you're back when they get knocked out of the playoffs. What's going on here, mate? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and I can see what you're doing there by preempting it and mentioning that before I can mention it. So, you know, touche, sir, touche. But uh, yeah, fair enough. A little bit sus. <laughs> well, listen, uh, before we get on to the playoff side of things, there's plenty to talk about around that. We're going to start the show just with a couple of, well, really movements in terms of uh, staff that have found themselves out of a job. It's that time of the season, Joe, isn't it? End of regular season and... Black Monday. Yeah. The the kind of suspects that towards the end of the season, you're going, uh, how long can they hang on for? Some of them have, uh, they've left. So let's start with Cliff Kingsbury at the Cardinals. Yeah. So Cliff Kingsbury, uh, his, you know, modus operandi for the last couple of seasons has been quick out the starting blocks. You know, we've seen them go 7-1, and 8-0 last few seasons, look like they're going to go and win Super Bowl, and then collapse in the second half of the season. And he always had that first half of the season to say, oh, well, look how good I can make the team play, which is basically masking the fact that he can't make adjustments. But this season, he didn't have that great start. They were bad from a get-go. And then with, with everything else that's been going on in terms of a breakdown of his relationship with Kyler Murray, stuff behind the scenes, this one felt a little bit inevitable from the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, it was something that we were saying pretty early on this season. How long can he hang on to the seat for? Because, as you rightly pointed out, they're a team that often start bright and fade, and they didn't even start bright this season. Kyler Murray, yeah, he did seem to have serious issues this season. We did talk about DeAndre Hopkins not being part of the team, certainly for the first half. But even then, when he came back, he wasn't helping the Cardinals to get wins it it just seemed like such a dysfunctional team and there's now even chat about DeAndre Hopkins being traded I think that's quite likely I mean you're gonna have a coach who comes into this team they've got to blow things up this isn't a team that's capable of winning the NFC West let alone the conference title or a Super Bowl I think they're a long way from where they need to be there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. The main thing this team has to do is get Murray firing again. Murray can't go anywhere. He's on basically a $190 million guaranteed contract. He's around for a while. And it's not like as well there's a coach who's out there who Murray has previous success with. Murray was Kingsbury's guy. I, I, like, I know things have ended quite acrimonious for them, but when Kingsbury joined via Cardinals a few years ago, he drafted Kyler Murray very early doors, and that was despite them having drafted Josh Rosen a previous season as a top 10 pick. So there's no one else who's out there really who's like, oh, Kyler's my man, I want to go and save him and bring him in. He's stuck at the Cardinals, he's almost guaranteed contract. Whoever comes in has to fix Kyler Murray and then fix a team. That's, that's just what has to happen there. So where did it all go wrong for the Cardinals then? Because they made really positive moves at one point. You you know, they made the move for DeAndre Hopkins. They made the move for what? It felt like they were building quite a big team. And it feels like it's all just crumbled away. And 
look, whether this is coincidence or not, but ever since they put that bizarre homework clause in Kyler Murray's contract, Murray seems to have just gone off the deep end. Do do you think there's a a problem there with maybe the play calling that they were hoping to run and, and Murray being capable of delivering against that? Was it a change in system that's led to this complete breakdown? Well, you're absolutely right there that Murray has looked terrible since that contract. He statistically had his worst season in 2022, really off the boil. But it's a combination of two things, Charles, I believe. It's Murray's play full stop and how Murray plays the quarterback position. Now, that clause that we joke about, that, that homework clause, it was in there for a reason. You look at how... Kyle Murray plays, we talked about this previously, he doesn't go through his reads properly like a quarterback. It's almost like every play he's just hit random on the Madden play generator. And as a play kind of opens up, he's got to work out who he throws to. Combined with that, the play calling, you mentioned that. Kingsbury, I think, is the definition of a guy who just doesn't make adjustments or doesn't make enough adjustments. They played a very one-dimensional offense Kingsbury didn't really get involved on the defense side, but it was never really as strong as it should have been. You've got to look at that kind of axis there of head coach and quarterback as being the problem. One of them had to go. It's the guy who's not on the 190 million contract. And the guy who's left needs to right the ship pretty quickly if they're going to do anything. But I think that's pretty obvious that it's going to be a couple of rebuilding years now for the Cardinals. But doesn't it seem odd that they play this one-dimensional offense and yet they felt a need for Kyler Murray to do his homework. You'd have thought that with an offense that doesn't adjust that often, that would be fairly set in Kyler Murray's mind. He'd know his roots, he'd know what's needed, and and there wouldn't be that need to be constantly brushing up on your homework, so to speak. The playbook, that can have up to 600 plays in. And the plan for each game will probably boil down that playbook to, say, 40 plays. I mean, you may call 25 of them. So... Every week, the quarterback has to be thinking, you know, what is the best play for the situation? And then going through his reads, because like I said, a 600 playbook, you're not going to know off by heart every single route that every single receiver is running out of it. And I think as well, for the type of playbook that Kingsbury ran, with it being this air raid offense, especially with an empty backfield like they often played with, you can have five guys running routes out there. So if anything, the Kingsbury playbook was perhaps slightly harder for a quarterback in the sense that there's just so many routes out there so many reads you have to make and to be honest from the evidence that we've got in front of us from the comments we've seen from experienced players experienced quarterbacks talking heads it just feels like Kyler Murray just wasn't really up to that especially this season so then maybe new head coach comes in and that they've got to simplify that to a certain if it's sort of proven that Murray is struggling with that type of play you need to help him out. And, you know, a lot of the times we talk about helping quarterbacks out. It's shoring up that offensive line. It's giving them top wide receivers to throw to. But maybe in Murray's case, it's making sure that your style of play suits him in terms of being able to successfully know the routes and go through his reads. And and maybe what Kingsbury was presenting was overcomplicating things. Yes, there's a part of that, but I think a lot of change has to come from Murray as well. This homework clause was the smoke to a fire that's there. Let's put it this way, Charles, right? If you've got a pay rise tomorrow, your boss isn't going to say to you, oh, we're going to pay you 10% more, but you've got to make sure you come in at 9 o'clock every morning. If your boss is saying that, it's because you're not coming in at 9 o'clock each morning. The fact they had that clause is almost proof that there was a problem there, and that problem was with Kyler Murray. 
and uh, no he's doubt. got to adjust. Yeah, of course. But we've what has potentially been established this season is that Kyler Murray cannot step up to that mark. And as we pointed out, Kyler Murray's on a long, big contract. So what do you do? Keep butting heads or do you change tax so that he can deal with something a bit simpler? It's concerning, really. And uh, like I say, it's not a situation, really, that you'd want to go into as an OC. Which brings us on to your little factoid, Joe, about the Cardinals. Yeah, just to drop this factoid in, because I saw this when I was doing some research and I thought it was incredible. The Arizona Cardinals are the oldest professional football team in the uh, National Football League. Established in 1920, they're slightly older than the Chicago Bears. They were founded, ironically enough, as the Chicago Cardinals moved to St. Louis. They were card pit for a bit during the war. I touched on that in a very early podcast, but very, very old team. They've never had a head coach for more than six years, which I found quite staggering. They are an organization that has to shift things and change things quite a lot to limit his success, really. But, you know, let's see where things go. A change is happening in the desert. Speaking of the desert then, Joe, that's a nice little segue. Moving on to the Texans. Lovey Smith got his marching orders after a pretty successful win this week. Yeah, but it, it was definitely an FU win. Oh, big time, big time. Yeah, I mean, rumour has it that the meeting that he had the week prior was when they gave him his marching orders. So he, he was already a dead man walking and he, he left that organisation by going, I'm not leaving you with the number one pick. Go out there and give me a win, boys. <laughs> yeah, and it's he ended up with three wins on the season. But I mean, you look at the roster they have and it's a toss-up between the Texans and the Bears for the absolute worst roster in professional football. He made, maybe not the best of a bad situation, but I, I think he can hold his head relatively high exiting. And what this boils down to is I don't think it's performance on this year. That's not why he's been sacked. The reason he's been sacked is because they clearly don't trust him to rebuild this team with the... You know, once in a decade, amount of draft picks and cap space they have going into the 2023 offseason. Despite missing out on the first overall pick, like you just mentioned there, Charles, they have by far the most draft capital of any team in the league. They have a wealth of cap space. They have a number of contracts they can restructure to make even more cap space. There is so much you can potentially do in the offseason with a head coach in front of us for the Houston Texans. And the team didn't want Lovey Smith to have the keys going forward. That's what it boils down to. Yeah, I mean, I thought he had an admirable go at it. No, I mean, surely the expectation was not there for the Texans to be a winning team. The wins that they did get this season were impressive wins and wins that no one expected them to get. Uh, I enjoyed the last game of the season, nonetheless, and hopefully he finds a position elsewhere because, look, last game of the season with nothing on the line to get that kind of win from a team with not a lot of talent, I think there's something there for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and look, what's going to happen now? He's probably going to go back to a DC role somewhere and have to work his way up. I don't see him walking into another head coaching role straight away. It always felt that, you know, Lovey Smith wasn't the first choice for this role going back a year ago. He was shoehorned in at the last minute. There was a lot of controversy at the time with the Brian Flores stuff. It's been very awkward and very tough for him. And I feel that most kind of fans, most kind of neutrals, would just look on at him, like, you know, he's done well, he can hold his head up. But I think this is always going to happen. Then finally, Joe, let's talk about the Saturday, baby. <laughs> 
<laughs> for Saturdays. So I'm drawing the conclusion now that Jim Ursa was playing 5D chess with all of us. He got Saturday to get the best possible draft pick for the Colts, and he succeeded. He somehow fluked a win against the Raiders, which was the most Raider thing to do. But terrible end to the season. He's shown that he's not a head coach of a National Football League team or a college team. Maybe he can go back to high school coaching now. But if you're a head coach... I think we've established that the Houston Texans is probably quite an attractive job because despite the lack of talent, there's the potential to go and get a lot of talent with the draft capital and the cap space. But I mean, would you really want to go to the Colts? The biggest something for me really would be ownership because ownership has interfered with this team excessively over the last year, 18 months. Do you really want to work for the Ursus when they're kind of poking their aura in as much as they are? Are you going to be able to go and do your job? An established coach, someone like a Harbour or someone like a Sean Payton, they could deal with it. They have a kind of gravitas. But a junior coach making their first kind of step up, it's probably not the ideal position for them to fall in. So look, I think that this could be a Harbour. I don't think Sean Payton, because I think he's going to go elsewhere. But it's got to be someone like that to make a real go of this Colts team. And do you think that they'll be attracted to this team and ownership will want them at this team? Or do you think ownership will want somebody they can ultimately control and therefore will end up with going with someone that's looking to earn their stripes? It's a great question. And judging by the rumours of who they're interviewing, they seem to be interviewing existing coordinators rather than out-of-work experienced coaches. So it's probably the latter there. And Sean McVay, Joe, what's your prediction on there? Because obviously there were a lot of rumours last season that he'd head into broadcast. Do you think that might happen this season or do you think he'll stay on again? Rumours seem to be swirling all the time about this one. So latest news on it is that he seems to be allowing his assistants to go and interview where they want because he's not going to make them commit to the team when he himself is not committing to the team. Now, that's an interesting kind of thing there because if he has his guys kind of go out and go elsewhere, is it really palatable to try to build your coaching staff again? Added to that is the Stafford situation, which people aren't talking about enough. Stafford could very well be crocked. Stafford could very well never really play football again. I don't really think that it's been reported enough how potentially damaging his injuries are. He said that he wants to come back. He said that he wants to rehab, all those kind of things. But you've got to look at his age. He was drafted 09. He's been in the league coming up to 14 seasons now. Yes, he's not been there for Brady time. Yes, he's not been there for Rogers time. But he's been around a while. And if he's crocked, if he's broken... Let's put it this way, the Rams have probably the least draft capital in the league. They also have very little to play around with in terms of cap space. This is a team that is basically not in a window. They're not in a window, and they're not going to be in a window anytime soon. So how much appetite does McVeigh have after he's seen how this team's played the last kind of six months or so? Do you think that he'd be better off on TV? Or if you were him, would you stay with the Rams? I think they're two different questions, to be honest. Do I think he'd be better off in TV? Yes, personally, with what he would have to contend with with this team to get it back to a playoff competing side. If it was me, 
uh, there's a part of me that feels, look, I know we've spoken about this before and he's got the ring and, you know, that's ultimately that's all you need to do. But he's a young talent. He was, you know, people were getting jobs just off the back of knowing him and being in his camp. That was how much he was being hyped. And then to just leave after getting one Super Bowl ring and then not even competing the following seasons. Ah. Uh, I don't know. I would want to establish more of a legacy before I moved on to broadcast personally. I think it's absolutely right. And I think from a kind of coaching point of view, he's not a Hall of Fame coach. He's not. And anyone who makes the argument for him being that just is wrong, right? Yes, he's done well. Yes, he's won a Super Bowl. But I, I think you've got to go out there and get to the big game a couple more times before you're a Hall of Fame coach. And if he wants that to tip off his career, got to stay around a bit more that said charles maybe he mixes things maybe he goes into tv for a year or two and then he just waits for the job that he wants maybe yeah. there's a job which is out there maybe he wants a packers job in a year or two time maybe he wants to go to the giants and you know coach in that market there's a few kind of big teams which are out there maybe he wants to go to one of them Right, Joe, uh, enough about coaches. Let's talk about some of the games. Let's move on to a bit of a playoff preview. How do you see things going next week? I mean, it's the wildcard round, so presumably you're expecting that most games will go the way that you expect. But are you seeing any upsets there? Are there any wildcard teams that you think might surprise? Yeah, it's a good question, Charles. Like you say, I feel the majority of the games will go with seedings, with a couple of exceptions, one on each uh, conference. Chargers versus Jaguars. Now, Jaguars are the higher seed here. Jaguars 9-8, Chargers 10-7 on the season. Chargers finish pretty strongly. You look across the roster and probably more talent there. But look, this isn't just a game that I think could go against seedings. I think this is probably one of the more exciting games of the weekend. Really looking forward to this one. If I was to say in the AFC, is there going to be a seeding upset? It's a Chargers to beat the Jaguars. Similar with the fourth and fifth seeds in the NFC, you've got the Cowboys playing the Buccaneers. I don't think the Buccaneers have any business being in playoffs whatsoever. What they do, they won their division, we know that. But I mean, in terms of how good they actually are... Um, as a side point, I'm quite bitter that the bookies actually still have the Buccaneers in front of the Vikings in the odds to win Super Bowl, which I just think is absolute what? madness. I wouldn't even give the Buccaneers higher odds to beat the Cowboys. I strongly believe that the Cowboys will beat the Buccaneers this weekend. That's going against the seedings. I know that the, the Cowboys had a bit of a mare last week. Dak Prescott was wildly off target. He had a terrible game. He doesn't play like that too often, though. He normally bounces back. And I see the Cowboys taking out the Buccaneers relatively comfortably. I know it's Brady and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the Cowboys are just a better team than the Buccaneers are. Yes, yeah, so I mean, like you, I, I think most of the games are going to go the way of seedings. Uh, Jaguars Chargers, I think he's just going to be too close to call, man. I would hate to make a prediction. I think it's going to be it. a good game, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, I think it's probably going to be one of the better games because I suspect it will likely be one of the closer games. But Buccaneers and Cowboys, I mean, again, like the Buccaneers had such a weak division. And the Cowboys are obviously the lower seeded team, but that's because they didn't beat out the Eagles in their own division. I, I don't think it's because they're worse than the Buccaneers. Exactly. They're unfortunate to be a wildcard team. In a normal year, they wouldn't have the Eagles winning that many games and they'd have probably have won the NFC East. That's exactly right. 
just going back to the AFC quickly, just one thing I wanted to bring to your attention, Charles, just see if you had any comment on it. Every single team which is in the playoffs, either divisional winner or a wildcard team, their starting quarterback was a first-round quarterback. Interesting. That's a great stat. People have views on team building and the importance of a quarterback position, the importance of other players in the team. But I think it's quite a jarring thing to see that. And I think especially in the AFC, because we see so many strong quarterbacks in the AFC, you you look at nearly every team there is loaded at the quarterback position. I think it just shows how important it is. And, and I think about the teams drafting, the teams who want to kind of rebuild and come back, talking about teams like the Colts, they're not going to get back into the big games until they have a quarterback who can compete with the rest of the AFC. Okay then, Joe, quick little roundup because you've been out of action for a couple of weeks. What do you want to vent about? What do you want to get off your chest before we wrap it up this week? <laughs> Charles, you you know me well. I've always got a bit of vent. Um, I'm not going to swear, Charles. I'm going to say the word housery, and there's normally a swear word that comes before that. We like to keep the podcast family friendly. And I want to talk about the housery over the last week. Charles, I think, very eloquently spoke about the DeMar Hamlin saga last week and the whole Skip Bayless uh, situation. And Charles and myself, I think, are pretty aligned on our views on that. You had all these players attacking Skip Bayless. And we won't get into the debate again. Charles, you know, covered it off very well. But this week you had a trainer come on field to assist with an injured player. And then you had Quay Walker of the Green Bay Packers push him. Uh, which which he got ejected for, fair enough. But talked about less is then Devontae Wyatt then bumping him and intimidating him. This was a trainer coming on to assist with an injured player. I think with everything you've seen for the last week and, and all that kind of stuff, first of all, where is the outrage? Because I know that this player got ejected, but when you look at everything Skip Bayless got, which I think was a, you know, a misinterpreted tweet, why is there not more heat on Quay Walker and on Devontae Wyatt? I think it was outrageous what they did. And I think that that is a kind of player behavior that makes you dislike a team. Now, I'm always going to dislike the Packers because I'm a Vikings fan. There's always that bias there. We get that. Fine. But I, I think even the neutral would have to look at that and think, I couldn't root for those guys in a neutral game now. Well, look, I honestly, I think the answer is Skip Bayless didn't go off crying and Cray Walker did. So I think people feel like they can stand up to Skip a bit more because Skip takes a stand. I do agree, though, that look, Walker is such an idiot. It's not the first time he's done it this season because we we had the situation where he shoved that um, practice tight end practice on the sideline. Yeah. 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 yeah, he was yeah. trying to help him up. Listen, Walker, he has some serious, serious issues. All the trainer did was tap Walker on the arm and just basically say, oh, can I get through? I'm, try- I'm trying to help someone. And, and Walker like spins around and gives him a shove. Like he cannot explode every time that someone even slightly fractionally touches him. And then his reaction when he was going off, throwing this baby tantrum, crying. Yeah. And it's just, look, yeah. the one yeah. thing I will say is at least afterwards, he owned up to his mistake now whether that was a genuine 
sort of regretful omission or whether that was a bit of a PR moment where he knew he had to say, sorry, I don't know. But other than that, his attitude was absolutely disgusting. And, and to be quite honest, as a fan, I can't sit here and defend him. And I have to agree, when you have players like that on a team, it does, as a neutral fan, why would you root for them? You just wouldn't because they're too unlikable. Personally, I think a massive fine needs to go to Walker now because it, it's repeat performance and potentially suspension. And Devonte Wyatt. I didn't spot the white thing. Go and look at the uh, video after. So basically, uh, Walker pushed the yeah, trainer and did all that. The trainer turned round and then Wyatt went up to the trainer and like basically stood over him and like bumped him with his chest, intimidating him. Listen, it, like it, it, it was it was outrageous, Charles. It was, yeah, it was but absolutely look, outrageous. There were two teams playing that game. One team knew what they were doing and they came there to win. The other team was wildly out of their depth and they were putting all their energy into the wrong areas of the game. Okay, yeah. You know what? I'm not going to pick this scab. I'm just going <laughs> to... <laughs> Let it heal, Joe. <laughs> like, like I, I think that the sorrow in the statement you've made there is just enough for me. Uh, like, uh, you've done a great job of holding down the pod for the last two weeks. Uh, I, I, I don't think I need to rattle your cage. So <laughs> I'm going to move swiftly on. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Charles. Them as well. So Alex Highsmith and DeMarvin Lill... They celebrated a sack with a CPR reenactment. Oh, yeah. Just just what goes through people's heads, Charles? So I will say this, because the, when I saw that live, I could not believe it. And I was absolutely stunned. I've subsequently found out that this is apparently a celebration that they've done multiple times this season already, prior to the Hamlin thing. So... For me, that gives them a little bit of a leeway. It's not something that they've stupidly come up with following this news. But then you do have to say, read the room, know the situation, know that maybe that's not the best celebration to pull out of your celebration bag this week. Uh, it's not, like you, yeah, like it's not like you can forget about it. Everyone's got a cap with free on it, and I pray for the Mar T-shirt on. It's literally everywhere. You can't forget about it. From all accounts, Highsmith does seem like a pretty decent guy. He was nominated for the Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award. Uh, we've seen kind of in previous where opposing team players have been like injured. He's patting them on the shoulder as they've gone off. He seems like a decent enough guy, and, and he seemed very kind of contrite about it afterwards. It, in the kind of reasoning that you've given for it, something they've done previously, and he just didn't think. But just in a wider context, Charles, do you feel that there's just a kind of hypocrisy and and a kind of bandwagon that a lot of people are happy to jump on? When it's someone like Skip, you know, who, don't be wrong, I think he has said more outrageous things in the past. Going back to what he 100%. said about Prescott and mental health, I think that if you wanted to call for the man to get sacked, call for him to get sacked when he said that. He The stuff he said about Dak Prescott and mental health was atrocious. It was archaic nonsense think, and it showed a level of thought that doesn't deserve to be on TV. But you had everyone kind of piously talking about praying for Demar and all these kind of things and then just players reverting to this and just getting away with it like it seems really if anything it's just shown me and I'm not sure if it's the same for you Charles but it's just shown me that you, you've always got to just step back away from a kind of one thing that does happen now and again in the National Football League yeah and I think as we've said before there's always favourites and whether that is player favourites who can do anything and get away with it or if that's talking head favourites and media favourites who can say what they want and be forgiven I think that exists in sport and outside of sport you're never really going to get away from that but 
Look, as we've said, we're no skip supporters by any means, but this one feels like a harsh one. And as you pointed out, there's been other things that have happened this week from players that haven't got anywhere near as much heat. Yeah, heat that that Skip had. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then just the last one, Charles, because while we're talking about Housery, um, <laughs> the Chiefs. The Chiefs, uh, did you see the ring around the roses? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. Like, that is definitely housery. Do we like it or do we not like it? I'm really mixed up on this one because you're absolutely right in what you just said about teams who are kind of favourites, teams who can kind of get away with things, teams that the neutral likes. And I feel that generally, despite their success, the neutrals like the Chiefs because they're a team yeah. that's exciting to watch. They do things a little bit differently. They play the game generally hard but fair. And they're exciting to watch. But... It was pretty disrespectful how they went towards that play with the uh, ring around the uh, roses. I meant to go and score a touchdown. Uh, I'm not sure if that makes it better or worse. I think it makes it better because had they, you know, got sacked, they'd look pretty stupid. But what's your view on all that, Charles? Look, in a game where anything was on the line, that play would never be brought out. They were only doing that because they were so far ahead. So in that respect, I suppose it's disrespectful because they're clearly going at that point. Well, let's do this really stupid play because we. what do we have to lose? I don't think it's a play that, look, I know, I know it was a scoring drive, but I don't think because of the ring around the roses huddle. I mean, they came out of that huddle. It didn't really cause any confusion on the defensive line from the opposition. They still matched up against the relative people that they needed to match up against, and they were ready when that ball was snapped. So I don't think it was like a brilliant play by any means, but I chuckled. So, you know, I'm a bit laissez-faire about it. Well, and I think perhaps this goes into favourites as well, because had it been against perhaps a team that people care more about, then there might have been a little bit, hey, that's not cool. But because it was against the Raiders, like, does anyone really care? Yep, yeah, it could be that. It's just one of those things, isn't it? The team they were playing against, the scoreline at the time. Look, if anyone was left still watching the game at that point, then they deserved a a bit of extra entertainment because it was so far gone by that point. It just felt like a silly little thing that they shoved in there. But just to finish up on this, I think it's good we spoke about this because it's just good for context going forwards. Because I'm sure that there will be a situation in a few months' time where a team of that people don't like or a player that people don't like does something similar to what the Chiefs did. And I would expect that that team or player will get a lot of heat and will get a lot of hate for it. And the Chiefs basically have got zero heat for this. So it's always just good to have those kind of base points and to be able to compare things back to. All right then, Joe. I think that pretty much covers us off for this week. Looking forward to... I tell you what, as a Green Bay fan, this is going to be my first... my first playoffs where I've got no skin in the game so I'm watching as a pure neutral I'm sort of weirdly looking forward to what that might be like where I don't have the pressure of getting knocked out in the championship round hanging over me look Giles if you're going to put a positive spin on this I might not be able to bite my tongue about the Green Bay hate much longer so let's call an end to the pod right there it's been great to be back thanks so much for covering while I'm gone and I look forward to speaking to you again next week speak to you then Joe